I'm Pastor Aaron Shepherd, and you're listening to the sermon podcast of Union Congregational Church, a caring community connected through God, loving and serving all along life's journey. We gather for worship each Sunday at 10:15 a.m. in our sanctuary at 55 Rhodes Avenue, next to Bird Park in East Walpole, Massachusetts. You can also join us from anywhere online via our live stream by visiting facebook.com slash churchbythepark. For more information about our church and its ministries, visit churchbythepark.org. Now here's this week's message. First scripture reading today is from John chapter 21, verses 1 through 14. I think we're going to find out what's for breakfast. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, have you no, have no, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes for he was naked and jumped into the lake. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. May God add a blessing to the hearing of this word. Let's continue listening for God's word for us here in the gospel according to John. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus turned and said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my lambs. The second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I just told you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
And so Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, Christ is risen, and the disciples have gone fishing. They've gone fishing. And uh, I can't help it, but uh, I think it says something about their priorities. And it calls to mind this uh, country song by uh, Brad Paisley. I don't know if you've heard it. It starts out like this. It says, well, I love her. But I love to fish. <laughs> Spend all day out on the lake, and hell is all I catch. But today she met me at the door, said I'd have to choose. If I hit that fishing hole today, she'd be packing all her things, and she'd be gone by noon. Well, I'm gonna miss her <laughs> when I get home. Priorities. Priorities. He's out on the lake sitting in the sun. Nothing better than that. It's just something about fishing, I think, that brings this out in people. The people who really love fishing. The people who are called to be fishermen. There are lots of people who go fishing who just, you know, are along for the ride. But then there are those people, you know those people, the people who are, who are fishers. Uh, I recently heard a poem, uh, Nancy Ferris actually shared it, it was one of her father's uh, uh, favorite sentiments, and it says, to go fishing, to go fishing is the chance to wash one's soul with pure air, with the rush of the brook or with the shimmer of the sun on blue water, it brings meekness and inspiration from the decency of nature. Charity towards tackle makers, patience towards fish, a mockery of prophets and egos, a quieting of hate, a rejoicing that you do not have to decide a darned thing until next week, and it is a discipline in the equality of all men, for all men are equal before fish. I think that kind of sense of, of the experience of fishing, that is what we would call a vocation, a calling. And you see, the thing about the disciples was, is that whatever else they were, especially Simon Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John, they were fishermen. In the stories uh, told in the other gospels about Jesus calling the disciples, he knew this from the start. When he called to Peter and invited him to come and follow him, he didn't just give him the generic, come and follow me, we'll do some cool things together. No, he knew this guy's a fisherman. And so he said, I will make you a fisher of men if you come with me. And that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, I suppose, unless, of course, fishing is your calling. You know in some sense, what that means, that it's the place where you find life. A lot of times this story is read as a story about the disciples trying to kind of go back 
to their old lives, go back to normal. All the tumults and all the events of all the time they spend with Jesus, that, that's now in the past. In fact, at the end of John's Gospel in chapter 20, it sort of says, all of these things have been written so that you may come to believe. And it seems as though the story of the Gospel is finished. And then we get this epilogue. But the epilogue seems like they've all just gone back to their old lives. Peter says, I'm going I'm to go fishing, sort of out of the blue. But of course, that's what he does. Only the difference is now he's taking folks with him. He's taking James and John, who will be good help. That's important. But he's also taking Thomas, the doubter. Who knows how much use he's going to be in a boat. And he's also taking Nathaniel of Cana. Nathaniel famously said, uh, when he heard about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So he's kind of a skeptical dude, too. But, importantly, he was there at that wedding in Cana. He saw what Jesus did there when he turned the water into wine. And he became a disciple, too. There are two other uh, disciples along with, and one of them might be the disciple whom Jesus loved, the beloved disciple, this sort of mysterious character in the latter part of John's Gospel. The thing about the disciple whom Jesus loved is, is that there's lots of speculation about who that is. But I think the, the way to understand it is that, is that this is the generic disciple. The disciple whom Jesus loved is every disciple, because Jesus loved all of the disciples. And so when we, when we read that, this is just your run-of-the-mill, your ordinary disciple. And he, too, is going with Peter back to work as a commercial fisherman. And so it's not that they are forgetting completely the life that they have shared together with Jesus. No. Peter's got this new crew, these new folks whose life they all share together. And now they are trying to make a new living together, doing the thing that Peter, at least, and, and James and John, that they know how to do the thing that they feel like they were called to do. And so fishing is, is their occupation, yes, but also perhaps their vocation. And the Christian concept of vocation, much like the, the concept of resurrection, is, is a crucial and important idea, one that has played a, a very important uh, role, particularly in the Reformed theological tradition in which we sit. It's this idea that everyone has a calling put on them by God is a profound thing. This post-resurrection story in John's Gospel about, about catching the fish uh, and, and being called to follow Jesus, uh, it appears in all the other Gospels at the beginning of the story. It's how Jesus initially tells the disciples to come and follow him. But here, it's at the end. And in some sense, it marks a new beginning. Not a, not a starting from scratch, however, but a new beginning nonetheless. If you look up vocation in one of these handbooks of theological terms, it will tell you that there are two kinds of vocation in, in, the, in the scriptures. It talks about the universal vocation. 
the call of Christ to all. It's the call we talk about at the beginning of worship each Sunday, that all are welcome, all are invited to come and be in the presence of Christ, to believe the good news of the gospel and receive life and life abundant. That calls for everybody. It's, it's, it's the same for all of us. But then there's this other kind of calling. It's sometimes called the secret calling. It's the way that God speaks to each of us in our particularity. It speaks directly to us and, and, and guides us in the course of our life about how we are to follow Christ. Now, typically, vocation is just reserved for uh, us folks in the robe. I cannot tell you how many times I was asked about my sense of call before, during, and after the ordination process. And that is consistent with the traditions of the church. In the medieval period, to, to be called typically meant to join one of the holy orders, to become a monk, to become a nun, to step away and step out of society. But one of the things that Luther and the other reformers emphasized was this idea that it is not just the, the folks in the long robes who are set apart and have a special calling from God to do holy and sacred things. No, Luther talked about the priesthood of all believers. The idea that all believers have a call to discipleship. And it's not a call to get away from society, but a call to live in a certain way in society. And so here we see Jesus going to where the disciples are at work. He meets them there and then calls them to himself. But not before, not before, of course, he blows their minds with this catch of fish. Of course, a, a vocation is sometimes uh, confused with an occupation, a J-O-B. We talk about manual trades as vocations oftentimes, but the sense here is, is something different. A vocation isn't just how you make a living, it's about what makes you come alive. Jesus in John 10 said, I came that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. The idea of the abundance of life is the, is the fundamental truth of John's gospel. It is the central theme around which everything can be understood. And we see it in this story here. For the disciples have been out fishing all night long. It probably was really hot, which is why they were fishing at night. And also why Peter's not wearing any clothes. And they've been, they've been working. They've been dropping that net in the water, pulling it out again over and over and over again, and they have caught nothing. And if this was just their job, one could understand them hanging it up for the night and saying, well, we'll get them next time. As my father liked to say, they don't call it catching. Let's call it fishing. But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly. And so he sees the boat, and he kind of taunts them in the way that you're not really supposed to taunt fishermen. Didn't catch anything, did you? And they say no, and he says, well, here's some instructions. Just drop that net down one more time on the right side. You'll find some fish. Not only do they find some fish, 
They find so many fish it almost capsizes the boat. It almost tears the net open. And again, this this post-resurrection story has all the qualities of other miracle stories in John's gospel. It reminds of the wedding at Cana where Jesus said, gave the servants there very simple instructions. He said, just fill up the jars, I'll take care of the rest. And he turns the water into wine and they have so much wine that they could serve all the guests and keep that feast going for days and days and days. It's a sign and wonder of abundant life just as this net full of fish is a sign and wonder of abundant life. It is so obviously and characteristically Jesus that the beloved disciple says, oh, that's the Lord. I I can tell. I can just tell. And then all the other disciples, when they come to land, they don't even have to ask. They know that it's Jesus. Because Jesus came that we may have life and life abundant. But right after he says that, he says this. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Jesus says there's a difference between those who just do the job and those who do the job with the kind of care that Christ has for the world, the kind of love that he told the disciples to show to one another. And so a vocation is not merely an occupation. It's about what brings life and life abundant. In the same way, though, a vocation is not to be confused with an identity. I keep remembering this Atlantic article I read a year or so ago. The headline is, A Profession is Not a Personality. Uh, And it was about, and and there were a few uh, articles that came out around this time, during the beginning of what has been called the Great Resignation, where people are quitting their jobs en masse. Uh, And it was about workism. The way people's jobs and careers have become their own kind of religion, the way people have invested their whole sense of self and identity into their jobs. And in some sense, you could say, well, that's because this is their calling, this is their vocation. But a vocation requires a certain level of discernment, of of intention, of understanding why it is that you are doing what you are doing, not simply that you are doing it. The challenge with confusing a profession for a personality is confusing who you are versus what you do. Who we are, Jesus proclaims, all of scripture proclaims, is a child of God, one made in God's image. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made uniquely talented and gifted in all sorts of ways, uniquely limited and fragile in all sorts of ways. And yet, what we do then is is connected to that, but it's distinct. The space between our identity and our vocation, the space between who we are and what we do, that is a space of freedom, a space of choice, the space of discernment about 
who God is calling us to be and how we will respond. And so Jesus, Jesus here in this passage, he gives the gift of abundance to these disciples freely. He, he even makes them breakfast. He gets there early and starts the fire. You know that because by the time they show up, it's already burned down to charcoal. Just as on Easter Sunday, Mary got up before dawn, Jesus is there in the darkness to shine a light for these disciples and then to feed all of them. But then, then he pulls Peter aside. And he says, hey, Peter, I got a question for you. Do you love me? And this is not a question about Peter's job. It's not an indictment to the fact that he was out preaching. It's a question about whether or not he has really taken on the identity of Christ. For what Christ said is that I have come to give life. And that when you receive that life, you, you take on a new identity. But how do you receive it? You receive it through love, through trust, through belief in God. The love of God is the thing that connects us to God and to who we are. And so Jesus addresses Peter by his, by his first name. Because the good shepherd knows his own. He says, Peter, son of John, over and over again. Just, just so he knows. I know you. And I want to make sure that you know that you are connected to God. And then, only then, am I going to give you this new calling. To feed my lambs. To tend my sheep. To feed my sheep. And of course, Peter's a little confused by this. But, but mostly, he's just upset that Jesus doesn't trust him enough. He says, I'm ready. I believe. I love you. What else do you need to know? And I think that's because Jesus recognized that what he was asking of Peter is no small thing. Immediately after the, the passage that I read, Jesus goes on to foretell how Peter's life will end, that he will be bound, that he will be taken to a cross just as Jesus would, that he will be martyred for the act of shepherding the flock of Christ. And then, after he has told Peter this, he says, so follow me. Just so that Peter knows, this is not nothing. This is not a simple thing. It is a costly thing to heed the call of Christ. And then Peter says, but what about what about that beloved disciple? What about him? And Jesus says, if it's my will that he live or that he die, what is that to you? That's his calling. That's what he's going to do. Or she. Don't know. That's what that run-of-the-mill Christian is going to do. Everyone is going to have their own calling. And it may be... It may be one of martyrdom, but it may be one of witnessing. Because in the end, that is what the beloved disciple does. The Gospel of John actually ends in chapter 21 of saying, all of this has been written based on the witness testimony of that disciple. That disciple lived to tell the story. And so too, we are called to, to tell the story. So how do we discern our vocation? How do we tell what Christ has called us to. Well, it begins with understanding the gifts and talents that we have been provided. Maybe you have an ear for music. Maybe you have 
an aptitude for math. Maybe you have an eye for beauty. Whatever it is, you, you have to understand these gifts and talents before you can really understand the way God has, has called you to put them to work. It's not enough, though, to just do all of this in your own head. It's important to consult others. This is a congregational church. We make every decision in consultation and in conversation because we believe that the Spirit speaks not just in that secret voice to us individually, but in the collective as well. This is not about just sanctifying our own whims either. It is about seeking God's answer to the question, what am I called to do? And if we come to it too easily, then perhaps that's a sign that further discernment is needed. That's why Jesus kept asking the question again and again of Peter. Are you sure? Are you sure you love me? This process of discernment takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes discipline. It's not unlike fishing in that sense. You have to be patient and yet vigilant. In my own process of calling to ministry, it started when I was 20 years old with this idea, oh, maybe I'll be a minister someday. And then 10 years later, right, the process was complete. Though, of course, vocations, vocations change. I think that's the other thing this story teaches us. These folks understood themselves to be living through the love of Christ. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. And so Peter said, well, we're going to take care of each other. We're going to go back to fishing. We're going to make a living together. That was how they discerned their vocation. And I don't think Jesus thought that was wrong. I don't think he, I don't think he was trying to show them up or anything like that. He was trying to provide for them in that vocation. But Jesus also knew that there comes a time when our sense of call can change. And we can be called anew. I want to end with three examples of a vocation, just to, just to help understand this a little better. I think one vocation that we should understand is the vocation to be the church. That being a part of a church is a kind of calling. We say as much when we invite people into membership here, the question we ask, do you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same question Jesus asked of Peter. And then we ask, do you desire, do you seek to serve him here, in this place, at this time? That's the invitation. It's a, it's a calling into ministry and into discipleship. That's different from the kind of cultural Christianity that just assumes that people go to church. And there was a time when that was the assumption. But now it is very evident that if you are willing and able to be a part of a congregation like this, it is because there is something that is compelling you here, that is calling you here, that is nurturing that call too. And of course, there are a lot of people who have, have been in churches and who have not experienced it as a place of abundance. There are many, many folks who, who go to church their whole life, and just feel like it's a chore. It's not a site of abundance for them. Maybe they, maybe they have a deeper sense of the connection of God out on the lake on Sunday morning than they do here in the sanctuary. 
And we can, we can make sense of that. That not all vocations are the same. And so we should understand that the vocation to be the church is one that can invite people in, but sometimes God can call people away. Sometimes for good reasons, they're moving on to a new place, or because of, of protective reasons, that God wants to protect them from the trauma of uh, uh, victimhood in a church. Another vocation, this is one that I didn't really think of as a vocation until Whitney and I were in premarital counseling, and this is the first thing the pastor says to us. He says, marriage is a vocation. It's a vocation. It's something you are called to, just in the same sense that you're called to be in the church. Many folks think of marriage as a kind of biological imperative. They read the language of, of Genesis, and they say, uh, oh, well, two flesh becoming one, that's what marriage is. That's certainly one way to understand it, but when we understand marriage as a vocation, we see that it is a place where God meets us in our freedom to choose and then allows us to, to, to stretch ourselves, to have a life that is more abundant by virtue of the connection we have with this other person and the unique and intimate kind of love that is shared in a marriage. Of course, marriage, like any vocation, can cause stress. It takes work. It can push you to the brink. But the thing about a vocation that is different from a job is that God not only calls us to our vocations, but God sustains us in them. The thing about marriage is that, is that on paper, it's kind of an impossible and insane thing to do to pledge yourself to permanent fidelity to one person for the rest of your life. If it was just up to us, I think a lot of us would have trouble sustaining ourselves in that. But God is with us in that vocation. Again, calling us beyond ourselves. We can't, a marriage can't work oftentimes without God. But of course, as a vocation, it can change. Marriages certainly do change over time, and sometimes they come to an end. And again, that is part of the calling of Christ. Sometimes Christ calls us to bring things to an end that need to be ended and to find a new beginning. And in a similar way, parenthood is a vocation in this sense. Again, a lot of people think of it as a biological necessity. It says right there in Genesis, be fruitful and multiply. But of course, not everyone is called to be a parent. Biology is not destiny. Just because you're tall doesn't mean you're good at basketball. That's true for me. <laughs> Heather knows what I'm talking about. And just because you have a uterus doesn't mean you are called to be a mother. It is, a, it is a different thing. On this Mother's Day, I think about the richness of the vocation of motherhood. It is, it is truly an abundant life that also tests you and strengthens you and, and pulls you beyond yourself and, and breaks you down often in lots of ways. It is a costly choice to choose to be a mother. And of course... 
Many people are called to be mothers in all sorts of different ways. Um, there are the obvious ones, like uh, uh, adoptive mothers or stepmothers. But then there are the mothers whose children are born, uh, are stillborn or miscarried, the ones who never get to see their child grow, but will always be mothers to them, called to be that in this special and different kind of way. Not every pregnancy, though, leads to abundant life. Because abundance is not about quantity of lives. It is about the quality of a life, about the richness that God invests in us when we respond to God's call. And so discerning that question of motherhood, the call to motherhood, that is a deep and a weighty thing between a woman and God and those whom she trusts and cares about. It is certainly not the kind of thing that we would want legislated from on high any more than we would want belief and, and membership in the church or marriage or any of that determined for us. The space between our identity, who God created us to be, and our vocation, what God calls us to do, that is a space of freedom. Paul said, for freedom in his resurrection, Christ sets us free. The theologian John Calvin interprets this as meaning that we are freed not to do whatever we want, but we are freed in Christ's resurrection to perform what he calls the duties of love, to fulfill the new commandment that Jesus gave his disciples, to love one another as I love you. Not because we're trying to earn something, but because it is what we want to do. It's because what we feel called to do, it is where we find the abundance of life. And so for Peter, after the resurrection, that meant, at least at first, restarting his old fishing business and bringing on some new hands so that they could be a part of that with him. So that maybe as they passed hours in the boat, they could swap stories about the things that they had experienced, the signs and wonders that they had seen. Peter wanted to take care of those other disciples. And Jesus must have seen that. Because then he, told, he came and he gave Peter a new assignment. To feed my sheep and to tend my flock. And so this Sunday morning, I invite you to think about how the risen Christ calls you to abundant life. In all the variety of callings in which you live to experience the presence of Christ in those things, to discern that call to life and life abundant. Relying upon God, stretching ourselves towards something greater so that we may truly love as Christ loved. Thank you for listening. I hope that God's word has come alive and blessed you today. If you want more information about Union Congregational Church, once again, feel free to come and visit us on Sunday morning or online at our website, churchbythepark.org.